Hello everyone and welcome to Indie Insight, the show that brings journalists, creators and developers all together to talk about our shared love of video games and the indie scene. I'm your host Ojan Johnson and joining me today is my co-host Connor Smith and our very special guest Callie. Callie's the founder Hello. and editor-in-chief at gaming publication Robot Republic. After launching in April this year, Robot Republic has amassed many writers, podcasters and streamers and focuses on gaming news, reviews, features, podcasts and D&D. Callie, welcome to the show. Hi there, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so this is obviously our first episode, so listeners bear with us as we sort of stumble our way through the dark and try and find out where this sort of format will head. But um, what we're hoping to do pretty much for those listening in on the first episode is we're going to be looking at a specific topic pertaining to video games and the indie scene in general uh, and looking at more of an abstract discussion surrounding video games. Uh, This week we're looking at games that moved us, those being games that had a lasting impact on us after either we played them or maybe we found later on down the line had a greater meaning. Uh, than when we first initially played them. Um, each of the people here have chosen one game from the indie sphere to talk about, and we're going to have a quick discussion surrounding that. Then we get on to some of our uh, listener um, recommendations as well and talk about that. And then we'll close the show off with what we've been playing this week, and then we'll let Cali uh, have his little tirade at the end and uh, say how better his publication is than ours. Um <laughs> So I, I'm going to throw it off, I think, to the guest first. I think that's only polite. Um, you picked Night in the Woods as your game, Callie. Can you explain to us just a little bit about what that's about and kind of why you chose it? Yeah, so, I mean, Night in the Woods, I've actually just looked up who it's by, Infinite Fall, um, and published by Finji. Uh, they don't they do, not do you know, loads of things. I don't. I couldn't name another game they, they, they have produced. But, uh, yeah, for me, this was, like, the first indie game I properly got into. Mm-hmm. Um and you play as a little cat girl, uh, so you're running around, not like, well, actually, hang on, the word cat girl definitely is more Elon Musk-based <laughs> these days, but I mean you're like an anthropomorphic cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're running around, and you basically have your little town. It's one of these um, po- posts, like, closing it down mining towns, so the whole place is a little run down. And you just go and talk to your neighbours and talk to your friends, and you've been at university, you've flunked out, you've come home, you're living with your parents again. And it's just, yeah, going around getting yelled at by your mum and speaking to all the other animals that are in town. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just really pleasant. I like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it sounds, at least from what you've described as, it sounds like kind of that blend of like, I suppose, creativity and fun in a way mixed with sort of real world sort of issues and complications of people through stories. Like you mentioned the whole thing about flunking it through college, but then it's like an anthropomorphic cat has flunked out of college. So it's got that nice little balance or kind of playfulness to it as well. So do you want to maybe delve a bit more into that? Yeah, so it it definitely seems from a glance that it's just a stupid little game with, you know, jumping around as a cat. Um, but the conversations you're having with everyone, like you've got, um, I think her name's Bay, uh, short for like Beatrice, mm. uh, who's your crocodile friend who runs the hardware store. But like as the game sort of develops on, she's running this hardware store that her dad owns and it's because her dad is just given up on his life a bit since her mum died and is like leaving her to run it and she wants to go out and have her own life but she can't because she's sort of stuck with this responsibility so it's way deeper than you kind of ever expect anything from a talking cat to be mm-hmm. um and like everyone in the town has their own little problems and may's very very uh or what would be like free free spirited and doesn't seem to have a care like a uh, very kind of like you know grungy nirvana i suppose like she's very just nothing really matters. There's a word for that, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> nihilistic, maybe. Um, and yeah, like, so with like Bayfruit, for example, you spend time and you're complaining to her and then like, you know, one point she kind of breaks about it and it's like, yeah, 
you're just rubbing in the fact that you've had this great opportunity and you've just flunked out for no real good reason and come back to the town while some of us haven't got that chance to escape. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I lo- there's a lot of these stories. So you've got this, you've got um, your friends. I don't remember the names of some of these, so I'm just going to call them the Fox Boy, uh, who works <laughs> at the at the like convenience store, and he's great. Uh, his thing is just about going around doing crimes, all small crimes. But yeah, it's, it's a fun little... Uh, like little mini games you get from that of like smashing up light bulbs out back of the shop. Um, his partner is a like bear, an anthropomorphic bear with a hat. Uh, and there's some dark stuff about his past that sort of gets delved into. And you can miss a lot of this. You can just blitz through the story, I believe. Like, you know, there's nothing that stops mm. you sort of just getting on with the main objectives. But of course, like I spoke to every animal that was there day in, like every single day would go out and try and make sure I hit up everyone just to get every last bit bit of this. Um, and then the game ends with something of a uh, cosmic horror mm. <laughs> element, as a lot of games tend to. Yeah, no, it sounds really good. The uh, I, When you were talking about like sort of the dynamic between, I suppose, the main character and her friend, it's almost like I get a very uh, similar vibe off yeah, um, the sort of chemistry between Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting. Sort of the similar because obviously Matt Damon's character is extremely intelligent and he's plugged out and he's not going to college or whatever. And Ben Affleck is kind of like, why aren't you doing this? Why are you staying here, like wasting your life away or whatever? Is that kind of the similar premise they're going for? Uh, so, yeah, you are. You can be a bit mean. And like I accidentally was a bit mean to my friend Bay and I felt really bad. And this is the crazy thing. I don't care about computer game characters generally. But like I felt really bad that I had picked this dialogue option and I couldn't do anything about it afterwards because it seems like the right one. It was like a bit of motivational. You know, I was like, yeah, why don't you just go do this? You know, why, well, you should, uh, you know, stick in there and stand up to your dad and say this. And then it's like, well, I fucking can't. <laughs> you know, and it kind of really did everything. Like, oh man, like I'm taking it for granted the privilege that my little cat character has. Mm. <laughs> and really it's, yeah, it's just, it is mad that this cute game, it's a very fun game. It's very cute still. Like I love the aesthetic of it entirely, but it is so much deeper than it looks when you first just see this little picture of a cat with like crazed eyes. Mm, sure. I think, um, what was I going to ask? Is there much in the element of gameplay? What, what is it like with that? Because obviously you've talked a lot about the story and the narrative there. Mm. Is it, how does it mesh in with the gameplay? Is it almost sort of a, a side on feature to kind of support the story or do they go hand in hand? Um, so the, I mean, a lot of the gameplay is dialogue choicing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's this sort of going between the different people, which is platforming. Uh, it's not like you miss anything though. You, it's not Mario. If you fall, you don't die and have to start again or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just, you, you've got a side scroll picture of your town and you're jumping on the roofs, climbing in through doors, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and they hide little bits of, like, mini games around the place. But most of it's, like, fetch things. Like, uh, there's a family of rats or baby rats. Uh, there's no family. It's just the baby rats. Mm. And you find them in this attic in some old, like, uh, the town carnival it used to be on. Like, they have, like, floats. And there's, like, the remains of all these floats in this attic. And you find these baby rats in there. And then you have to go and steal some pretzels. And it's got like a little mini game where you have to get your hands up to grab the pretzel while the uh, the guy's not looking. And then you feed the rats with the pretzel in a very similar manner. And it's just lovely and cute. And then eventually, like after you've kind of, I'd say completed, I did get an achievement unlocked for it. So there is a kind of end game on that side quest, hmm. I suppose, even though it's not like a labeled side quest. Um, but yeah, by the end of it, the place is pretty much infested with rats. So I don't know if I did a good thing really or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And 
I suppose what made like how did it come out that you wanted to obviously you talked about how great the game is and everything but what made you want to pick it I suppose first and foremost and what made it feel like a game that stood out to you more so than just kind of you know the gap we talk about you know playing a game for the fun aspect and kind of this little sort of um, gameplay experience what made it stand out as more of a, a narrative driven and a deeper meaning experience for you? Well, this is one I just went back to occasionally. So, like, I, it took me quite a few months to kind of play through it. I didn't just hit it in one sitting. And it starts off very, you know, meandering. There was not that much depth to it. Hmm. So, by the end, when all the, you know, all of these deep conversations are happening, it starts becoming a lot more prominent. Now, I wanted to kind of prefix, because you asked me for something that moved me. You know, like a game that kind of moved me. Hmm. I am, much to the delight of the robot overlords I work for, a robot. Like, I don't really get emotionally affected by computer games or TV or anything. Like, my partner will say he cries at all kinds of games he plays, but, like, me, just doesn't really doesn't really get to me. But, so, this no, I didn't cry or anything at this game. Like, it's not got that level. Like, well, it's, it's nothing can do that for me on a computer game, I guess, but, or nothing I've discovered as yet, but it did stick with me. I kept, I think about this game, like, weekly, <laughs> like, at some point. I mean, I, I went and got, like, a little wall art of May and her sort of dream version of her like that's another little mini game-esque thing when you go to sleep at night but i think about just the events in this game and how much i enjoyed it quite a lot and like for me i never really played indie games until i came across this Mm -hmm. um and it was basically just it was like last year maybe i think there was a like game pass is great but there was like a bit of a dry of there's not too much new coming out and i saw this and was like ah yeah i could do something just fun to kick around on and yeah, after playing that, I've then gone on and played many indie games because it's given me a whole appreciation for the sort of the things that aren't just shooting people in the head. Mm. Right? <laughs> for sure. Um, I think we'll move on from that one anyways. We'll go over to you, Connor, now, because I know you have chosen The Witness, which is something you've told me about before is a very like important game to you. But I, I genuinely never delve too much into it and I don't too, know too much about it. So do you want to explain maybe to people at home and kind of, I suppose, to me as well, kind of what it is? Yeah, The Witness is a really interesting one. So uh, I got to The Witness because there was a time where I got very bored of AAA games and I saw a film called The Indie Game Movie, which was really influential to me. It got me into kind of Fez, Super Meat Boy and Braid. And Braid was developed by Jonathan Blow and it was it was a little platformer which had a kind of Prince of Persia-like uh time mechanic where you could rewind time and then fast forward time and it was a really innovative game and so i was waiting for years for jonathan blow to make his next game which i knew was the witness i followed it on the website for a long time and every time a new screenshot came out i was like oh oh i love the look of this game and this this game was basically working off of the kind of the influence of mist which i believe is another kind of island uh puzzle game but basically in the witness you have this this beautiful island and the island is full of panels and each panel is a puzzle and so i'd look at the the screenshots that were uploaded to the site and you'd have say um lots of trees around you say you're standing in an orchard and the panels in front of you look very tree-esque and you have to look at the trees and say oh you know, there's an apple on that branch. So you try the branch that's on the panel and then it connects and then they get more and more complicated. And it was things like that were really interesting. But the 
the witness, I think, is Jonathan Blow on a team. I think it was um, uh, Tecla Inc. is is the development team that did it, and I think one of the one of the developers that worked on the witness is actually the 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 guy who's making Twelve Minutes. Hmm. Um, so very talented people, anyway. Um, and basically, you start the game in this room, and to get out of the room, you have to. Uh, it's first person and you press what would be the A button on the Xbox controller and it brings up a little circle on your screen and then if you're standing close to a panel um, it'll either zoom you to the panel or you can still interact with it and each panel has a a circular dot where it's the start point of the the puzzle so it's very much like um, you know like those those line puzzles where you have all those mazes where you have to pencil the route to the exit it's very much like that but it's just a straight line and so you drag the line up and complete the panel and then the door opens and then you're out onto the island um and the game is extremely deceptive i think that the important thing to say is that i played this game when i had a playstation 4 and Callie's going to be like what because uh yeah my my dad unfortunately sold my ps4 so i can't now play ghost of tsushima um i i sort of lost it before all those lovely games came out so it was very tragic but that my my memories of of when i did have a playstation 4 the the games i i mostly enjoyed were indie games they like firewatch and the witness especially were like my my two standout games from that time of my life um, but I also play stuff like Resogun and Rocket League pretty religiously. Um, the Witness was different because it was extremely deceptive. Like you walk around this island completing these panels and each each area of the island is like a different um it's like a different section to the game where there are different mechanics that um the panels use. So their first area that most people stumble across is like a simple um, black and white tile thing where you, I think you have to keep the the black tile separate from the white tile so you draw your line around them to keep them separated. Um, but there's also stuff like puzzles that will get you to look at the environment. There's a geometry-oriented uh, section where you have to like in a Tetris fashion, join up these little squares and like the little T blocks so that you complete like these Tetris shapes in the puzzle. There's one where um, every line is reflected. So you have to complete the puzzle on both sides of the panel. There, there are so many different variations of the mechanics. There's like ones where, the sh where shadows fall on the panels and the shadows make you do, uh, you know, different stuff. But in the way that the, the panels interact with the environment, it was generally like so serene and zen-like because you're walking around this island viewing this, you know, very artistic and stylized. I mean, when I first saw it, it was almost like um, like a cel-shaded style. I don't think it's that cel-shaded style at all. I just don't think I had the vocabulary for it. But it's that very kind of simple textures, very colorful art style. And you walk around very much just looking at the scenery of this island, completing puzzles, and it's just very relaxed. And, you know, the interesting thing is, like, you asked 
for a game that moved me. I don't think The Witness is a moving game. Hmm. I don't think that generally you'd expect a, a game with a story with uh, a lot of emotional dips and, and ups, right? But I think that The Witness is a game that's very much about thought and not feeling, and, and this is why it's strange, because you have audio logs all around the island, and they're all sort of quotes from scientists. So you've got um, an Albert Einstein... Albert Einstein provides a lot of quotes, um, but they purposely pick quotes from scientists who kind of um, uh, appreciate the wonder of the world in a in a kind of quasi-religious way. They don't tend to have um, religious quotes there because they're very kind of finely cherry-picked, these quotes, for while you're sort of in this experience, mm-hmm. completing these puzzles and uh, venturing around this island. It's sort of this very um, uh, introspective kind of philosophical uh, thinking that you're doing. But the the main point is that there are so many epiphanies you have in The Witness. And, and you know, if, if you haven't played it, go play it now. But I will say, like, one of the, the most standout experiences you have in it is you go around and you're completing these very repetitive puzzles where you have the little circle to start with and you know you get used to seeing that circle in a line right mm-hmm. and then you start looking around the island and the and the environment and then if you stand in a specific place you'll see that the river in the island looks like a circle with a line so you press a and you try to do you try to connect the line in the actual environment and it clicks and you find out that the whole island is full of puzzles that aren't on panels and it's just like that epiphany was just like whoa <laughs> it, it was it was like so cool um but honestly do, doing each section of the island will um activate a beacon and the beacon will shine up to the mountain and the mountain is like the place where you've got to get to it the the door into the mountain will only open when you've done so many sections hmm. um and all the way through, you're kind of wondering, what is this island? Who am I? What has happened to all the people? Because there are like statues of people kind of frozen or or just like stuck doing something all over the island. And you're thinking kind of, was there people who inhabited this island? Like, where did they go? And I won't ruin like kind of what happens when you get into the mountain, because I think it's it's interesting. It's really interesting, like the different environment change. Um but I will say that genuinely at the end of The Witness, uh, because I completed all the sections, completed all the puzzles, I even did the extremely difficult timed challenge where they've got they've got like two um, pieces of music that play. They've got like two Edward Grieg uh, orchestral pieces. They've got like um, one that's a little less known and then they've got In the Hall of the Mountain King. Um, you know, very famous piece of classical music, and you you kind of I think there's a um, what they what they call those the things that play vinyls gramophone. Yeah, there's a gramophone, right? And you you start the gramophone, I think, with one of the one of the lines, and the music plays, and panels open, and um, there's like this series of panels that you need to do to get you through a, a set of doors. And it's it's extremely difficult time to challenge because every time you do it, 
the panels are randomized and they're slightly different each time. So you mm-hmm. can't just do it again and again until you get it. You have to like know ahead sort of what it's going to present you with. And that was extremely difficult, but I did it anyway, got the trophy. Um, and genuinely, like at the end of this game, it was kind of just a feeling of accomplishment that I had done every puzzle in the game and also just so like a such a great like deep pit of sadness that actually it's over i've seen every puzzle in the game and i've done it and i can never go back and do it with fresh eyes and not knowing the answers to all the puzzles Hmm. It, it was such a moment of like oh god that was such a beautiful experience that i can't have again it was so unique because you can't you can't really relive a puzzle game again right you can't really relive a a story like i told you i love uh, tell me why when it came to game pass which is a fantastic story but you once you know what happens you can't go back and like relive it for the first time can you hmm. um so there was such a kind of melancholy feeling when i finished the witness but it was such a it was such a beautiful experience probably my favorite puzzle game and one of my favorite games of all time i think the the actual ending of the game while i won't ruin it um when you end the game in this very sort of beautiful way it takes you back to the very first room uh you started in and it's almost like all the panels are wiped and it lets you onto the island again and so it's like this cyclical thing and there there is this commentary in the game um and there's a secret ending as well where it's very self-aware that you are playing a game and there's almost a, a commentary on what you do uh when you play a when you play a game and and what you're expecting from it and i think that's really interesting if you go in expecting there to be you know a lot of story with this island and a lot of mystery and i think that um it was also really interesting like kind of playing this game and looking at the environment so deeply uh, for all these environmental puzzles and then coming out of it and having that kind of, you know, being being that daze of, of still being the game and kind of looking at the world around me and thinking like, it, it, it was a powerful experience that got me to think about how games affected me. And I, I think that, yeah, if you haven't played it, just go play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm happy you brought up that game in fairness and it's actually i think it's a good almost um two sides of the spectrums to games that can move people so obviously uh, your game cali and yours connor like are kind of i suppose they would move people in the sense in two different directions so like uh, obviously for cali's one it's very much narrative based and that story will kind of engross and capture people whereas with yours connor it's almost like um this uh you know mystery open to interpretation uh kind of almost has a real personal aspect to it because it's like you are making of the game whatever you want to uh along with sort of those extra elements into it and i and i totally get what you mean about the whole thing about uh you know almost getting really uh, evoked by a game when it comes to like the end of it because uh, on many occasions you'll play a game and you'll be like oh shit we're near the end i don't want to finish this and it's like i think particular comes to mind is like the mass effect series for me every time i come to like the end of that like i'll never forget like the first time i played through those games and like the the actual feelings that came from those 
uh, and then when you get to the end, it's like, oh my god, I don't, is this the end of it now? I don't know if I want to finish this. And it's the same with like I think all sorts of media. Like you go to the movies, like um, let's say like what's something popular recently, like the Marvel movies. Like you get to the end of the <laughs> Avengers saga or whatever, and it's like this completely uh, like it's been building up 10 years to this and you're like, oh my God, 10 years have gone by. This is the end of this like storyline or whatever. Now they're still going. Um, but like that sort of, there's like a bookend there and it's almost started a new chapter nearly. But I, I think that's, I think that's such a, an interesting conversation to have though. It's like, because whenever you talk about games that like uh, can be emotional or evoke certain feelings or whatever, a lot of the time it's always like these big story driven games that are uh, put up in these pedestals and, and that's of course you know totally valid and everything everyone always talks about the last of us about how great of a game that is you know all these other games like yeah actually there's an interesting point i want to make here um when it comes to telling interesting stories in games i want to get your guys opinion more so on do you think that almost the indie scene has more of a, an ability to explore these uh niche ideas or niche stories than say the triple a scene because obviously you know these big games like The Last of Us, God of War, whilst they tell sort of emotional stories, they're also more susceptible to being emotional stories that cater towards a more general audience. So like the the relationship between Joel and Ellie is very much like a father and a daughter narrative. The same with God of War as well between, um, I can't even remember what Kratos' son is called, but the, 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 bar that aside, you know. Boy. Boy, yeah. Boy is the Boy. only name he deserves, of course. But then you look <laughs> at it and it's just like, yeah, do you think, um, like, maybe tell me why has a bit of a a, a a kind of breaking through that mold in a sense, but almost that is considered to be, a, like, an exception to the rule almost, isn't it? So do you think that these indie games kind of have more of a scope to explore these nicher topics, nicher emotional cues or whatnot? I'm interested to get your guys' thoughts on this because I, I definitely think so. Um, Yeah, Callie, do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, so I did want to like start just talking at the exact same time as Connor, but yeah, no, totally, <laughs> I hundred percent believe the indie scene has a much like more freedom to explore things that um, the triple A's just can't. Like while they do have emotional ones, like you say, The Last of Us, like God of War, and you know various other sad dad related games, but like <laughs> a lot of the things that like indies can explore can do so because they don't have to recoup so much money. When you've got a triple A, there is a need to hit a wide audience because. You know they've spent absolute millions making this game, mm-hmm. and if they don't hit a wide enough audience, they're just gonna you know bankrupt themselves. So like an indie game that didn't cost too much to make can hit some deep levels. It's just those ones don't have the you know they they don't have as much financial responsibility to to pat or I was about to say panda cater to the sort of wider audience. Mm-hmm. So um, but you mentioned tell me why there is that not is that considered a treble A then? It would be considered more of a, I suppose, a mainstream element now, I think, just because of its inclusion on, like, um, I suppose it was very heavily promoted at the time when it came out and everything. I, I would, I see, maybe I maybe I tripped up a little bit there. I wouldn't call it AAA, but I call I call it more so well-marketed um, in the sense that, you know, it, it, it was recognized by a lot of sort of mainstream awards and everything for the story it told in that sense. The, the the problem with Don't Nod is that they have a very indie feel, but I think they, they did partner with Bandai Namco for, I think, um, Life is Strange. And I, I kind of view Don't Nod at the same level as kind of Bluebird Team, where it's kind of that grey area. I'm not really sure. Mm. Yeah, I, I think so it's, like... it's it, we always get to those grey areas of what is indie and what isn't. And I always try to avoid that. I'm just like, you make a good game, like, I'm fine. I don't care. Like, But it's like, yeah, you look at, I think there's almost like either indie is considered to be this like... Um, 
one person working on their own and then AAA is like this big company and then the middle in between could be literally anything you want it to be depending on how they identify it as. And it's like, because you look at people like Supergiant Games, you're like, they're still indie, they're just really big indie. And it's just like, them in comparison to say someone like Thomas Sala is like, how are they in the same bracket? But they are, I suppose, in a certain sense. Um, but I think, I think the conversation is always really interesting about like, because obviously these bigger companies are very much beholden to... Well, on one case, they're shareholders, and then on the other case, the general market. Uh, and so they've got to kind of cater towards that. Uh, first of all, to, you know, make money back and pay the people that worked on the game, which I think is really important, but also um, to try and tell a general story. And I think in some ways, you know, it's like, it's the same with movies. Like, you know, you get your your big blockbuster movies, and they really propel, I think, the, media for, the medium forward of, like, films. And they've got your smaller, nicher movies that, you know, once somebody is already in, like, engrossed in that medium they're going to go and explore that and find the more uh, cater towards them experiences. I think that's the same with all sorts of media, though. It's like if you have a passing a, like love for, say, like even sport, like, you know, you, you have a passing sport for uh, not passing sport, but a passing like uh, enjoyment of, say, like football or whatever. And you see like the big clubs like Real Madrid or Barcelona or whatever. And you're like, oh, yeah, Messi, Ronaldo. And then you've got your people who have been in it for years and they're like, oh, I support my local club, like, I don't know, Brentford or something. Um, and it's just like, there's obviously that level of depth to anything you go into. So I feel like it's interesting because whenever you talk about stuff like um, like games that really push the medium forward, I always feel like like The Last of Us is a perfect example of that because it's got its own TV show coming out. You know, it's very much, you know, used as the example of like, here's a like a cinematic game that, you know, really shows what games are capable of in terms of storytelling. And then you like, if you're in games, you're like, well, you know, games have been doing this for years. Like there's really good games with stories, like something as simple as Thomas, Thomas was alone can be considered like an extremely beautiful narrative storytelling experience. And it's just like the reason it's not talked about as much is because of that budget restraint and the marketing and everything around it, because it's not so mainstream. So yeah, I'm rambling here, as you can probably <laughs> tell. But I think the, I think the overall point, I think kind of rings true. It's like, you know, for any media, it's going to be. The, the big dogs with the money are able to market themselves a lot more uh, and make themselves a bit more palatable to a mainstream audience as opposed to like the indie stuff, which is, I think, I think in a sense more intimate, actually, really, when you get to the, the crux of it, because you you have, I suppose, when you play the game, you almost, uh, depending on the title and depending on the experience you go into, you almost get a, like a, like a keyhole look into the life of the developer themselves because it can be a very personal experience. Like, you know, Connor and I, you know, we, we talk about the, the Falconeer. Like, that's an extremely personal game when you get to the crux of Thomas. And you look at some of the other games as well uh, that we've talked about today, I'm sure have extremely personal experiences from those developers. Um, so I, I think it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation. And I, I, I love the way it always goes because it's, um, and then it's always funny. You're just like, oh, why aren't these, like, why is everything in the, so the mainstream storytelling sphere is so like catered towards like, uh, you know, the father son or father daughter relationship, and there very seems to be nothing outside of that really. Um, mm. and then you like you're thinking, well, then when a, a sort of a new game comes along, like let's for example, tell me why or whatever, it does exceptionally well, and you're like, what made this like the, you know, the one that broke through it all or you know broke the ceiling for it or whatever and it's, it's it's a really interesting conversation and you know some of the games like the one i'm going to talk about as well actually i think might be an interesting segue on unless anyone else has anything to add to my ramblings <laughs> i i i do have a little to add hmm. um because i think it's a, a genuinely like a, a really interesting question about like storytelling between AAA and indie games i think that um generally where AAA games sit right now 
and they have been there for a long time, is that when you when you play one, like you'll see a cutscene to get you into the game, then you'll play some gameplay, and then that story will be delivered to you in cutscenes in between bits of gameplay. And for the most part, I find that the gameplay is very detached and disconnected from uh, the story. I think that may be a case of, um, say, uh, when when you're developing a Halo game, right? It depends on what you do uh, in what order. So if you have the maps set out and say, I, I know we definitely want to be in this location. I know that this is what the mission design and the map design is. And then you tailor a story around it or whatever. Um, sometimes it doesn't gel or synthesize as as well as it could. Um, so, you know, it, it's a real difficult thing because AAA games, I think now, especially with PlayStation exclusives, they're trying to be more like films, Hmm. right? That, you know, you see that with like their director's cuts and, uh, you know, these very polished cinematic experiences, but indie games are very happy being games and they're not going to give you like a, a cutscene of exposition and and then a little bit of gameplay. You know, most of the time the narrative or the story is really bound up within the mechanics of the game. If you think about like really popular indie games, I'm sure you'll be able to think of games which the story is told through. Uh, the mechanics of that game so things like you know you could think of so many papers please the actual gameplay is how you experience the narrative you know of of, of checking the documents in this kind of dystopian world um omno that like the narrative uh, and this is the case in many kind of indie games where they let you explore an environment or a world the narrative is in the world like the falconeer you get all these little drops of kind of mythology from the different statues and there's a lot more to interpret there's a lot more to um seek out and find rather than have it sort of put in front of your face which is what you'd expect from a triple a game let's face it the the kind of more popular uh mass market audience isn't going to want a game which kind of is elusive about its story. They they want a game where that clearly delivers the story and what they're asking for. If they turn on the game and they're not really un- they don't understand what the story is, the game's kind of being like, oh, it could be this, or or you have to go and seek out the story. They're just like, no, just give me the story. You know, I've got I spent forty pound. I want to play the next thing. Um, See, indie would, games. Um, yeah, go on, Kelly. Sorry, I'd say I would like not necessarily disagree on that on the triple a because i think like the main you know the the bulk of the story is always delivered in the core kind of like like the cutscenes and things but even like i was playing halo guardians the other day um because i'd actually the first time i played it through was on legendary and i had no idea what happened because it just (laughs) i was grinding too hard for it but we played it through on uh, just an easier mode so i could actually appreciate the story and there's a lot of those um the things you pick up along the way it tell you like little you know, extra narratives that are going on. Like I found a um, a, a soundboard thing, I don't know, called Data Disc, and mm. it was like an elite writing a poem about basically <laughs> fancying one of the um, Spartan ladies that are in there. <laughs> and oh, yeah, like, just like little primer, bits like yeah. that. Yeah, and like, um, and like in Gears of War, you pick up loads of like, you know, collectibles that show you pieces. So I think they've always kind of had like that extra bit. But um, I would say one thing that is a bit different with that is I don't play Halo 
and then think about the people who kind of did it because of it's such a huge amount of people behind that story. Like it's definitely going to be being made on a, mm. you know, big whiteboard in front of lots of people. Whereas with the indie kind of games, those stories do feel personal to maybe like a handful who wrote it rather than like, you know, a giant director's board of people. So yeah, I, 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 I agree that, yeah, most of it in the, in the AAA is told through cutscenes, Whereas like, I mean, even with like the game I was talking about, Night in the Woods, there isn't a cutscene. Everything is just talking to people. And like, yes, Your Grace, I think, is the name of hmm. one of those games. It's um, all through the whole story is all laid out through conversations you have, which does mean you have to pay attention. Hmm. Like, I am very much guilty of if the cutscene comes on a game, I will probably pick up my phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's actually a really interesting point you raised about like when you play Halo, you don't think about really who's behind it, and I think it's a I think it's more of a, a sign of the times almost more so than it is about, I suppose, almost the size of a company. Because I think now since games are becoming more mainstream and more sort of corporatized in a way, you know, you've got all these big companies investing in these in these studios. Like you look at Xbox kind of I think 24, 25 studios they have now, like there's going to be a load of people working on those games, you know, different people from different studios will come in to help on different projects. It's like, but when then you think back to the sort of the heavy hitters, the, the big games back in like, say, even if you look back at like Halo 2, Halo 3, like there are names behind those games. Like there's a reason why Joe Staten is like, when he comes back to Halo Infinite, like a lot of the core Halo fan base, like, oh my God, it's Joe Staten. And it's like, because they'll have this sort of personalized feel of they'll, they'll know who he is from either the Vidocs or they'll have heard of him by playing the game or whatever, um, particularly ODST. Like, you know, so people will have this idea of who is behind this game and they might almost think like, okay, it's good now because I know this person. It's almost like that sort of, a familiarity of knowing that there's someone that maybe created something you love before is now working on this game again whereas like i think when you look at 343 or something like that you can uh, point out that there's maybe a few in there that might seem interesting you know the, the couple of uh, like um Ushank, i think is his name i know he's the community manager for halo uh, and a couple of other people it's like outside of that though you know it's not like the same person experience maybe you had when you saw like halo ce to halo 3 and it's like oh marty o'donnell uh you've got uh, joe state and you've got all these other names in it and it kind of almost feels like a indie but big in a sense i guess I, I feel like big indie now is kind of what bungie was when it first started which is kind of interesting like super giant games are almost i think on that same level of when halo ce was being developed and it's it's a really like it's a really weird thing to see that level of growth in an industry in such a short period of time mm. um and particularly to see how it dictates how people feel and are uh, connected to certain games as well i think so well, it Halo's... could very much be a sorry go for it sorry Halo's particularly a weird one as well because um there's a lot of people at 343 who 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 you'd know like um jeff easterling I, I believe his name is 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 a writer but he's not necessarily as as i understand it one of the main writers he writes kind of canon and law sort of things there's kind of frank o'connor who's um i believe kind of franchise director and kind of oversees not just the games but the novels and things hmm. um there's so many people involved in different things and unishek as you said is a is a community manager so it's, it's different where you know before you had Marty O'Donnell, who was the composer, you had Joe Staten, who was, um, you know, the voice of the grunts and then, you know, writer of, of Halo 2 and ODST. Um, and it's very hard to actually pin down and think in your mind of the people actually behind the game, right? And I think that when Halo 5 came out 
and people weren't happy with the writing in that game. They kind of all looked to, I think, Brian Reed, who was the lead writer at that time, and they put a lot of the blame on him, and I don't necessarily think that that, you know, they've never spoken about it. Uh, you very little off, very little hear about kind of development issues and kind of what went on to produce something in a certain way. But um, I don't think Brian Reed is, is back. I think that they haven't even announced the main writer of Halo Infinite, to, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I think p- possibly because they're, uh, they're trying to let the work stand on its own without the person. Mm-hmm. And personally, I, as a literature student, as a writer, I always like to have that person behind the books. So when I read Lord of the Rings, I know that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. I know that Christopher Tolkien edited the things. And I can look up, I can see who they are. I can read the prefaces and introductions to the books and kind of get a sense of their voice and who they are before I kind of delve into the story properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I like that as as a reader and as a, as a consumer of games. I like having someone behind my games. I like seeing Thomas Saller on Twitter. I like seeing Mike Bithell, the developer of um, Thomas Was Alone. All those people that are behind the game have personalities and have kind of their own uh ethos that they bring to the work mm-hmm. and i think that generally for me the the philosophy behind game design is as interesting as the final product uh, because they're they're almost synonymous so when you're getting to these huge projects where you're kind of losing that that perception of the people behind the game mm-hmm it does create something slightly impersonal. You can't say that an indie game developed by one person is not a personal product. It really is. And it has vulnerabilities and, you know, having that imperfect, but personal creation, I think is really special. And yeah, I think I generally that's, that's why I, I love indie games is because it is like a, a letter from designer to from developer to gamer. It's like, you know, this this is who I am, this is what I've produced. And I like getting that insight into into someone. So yeah. Hmm. See, I was gonna say, like, I think I might have been speaking maybe a bit from ignorance there before because of I don't know the names of like the people behind the original Halos at all. So like, hearing that other people do, that is just on me. I <laughs> clearly I don't pay enough attention to those writing it, but but no, I, I mean, I don't think about who wrote Halo 5. I don't think about who wrote Gears of War particularly. I hmm. do think about who wrote some of the... Um, well, or Not even necessarily the people themselves, but the smaller studios. Like, at the moment, Annapura, I think that's how yeah. that's pronounced. Annapurna. I have become kind of like my favourite like developer because everything they're putting out just really appeals to me and they have that kind of more story thing going on that what, isn't what, just like a what have they done? shooter. What have they done, So Kelly? that last stop I've been playing, um, they've got that Stray game coming out. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't wait for that. Give me a second. Um, I need to, yeah, I need to Anna look Cruces at this. Anna as well, I... is, but it's been published by Anna Pura as well, I believe. Oh, and I think they're 20, 12 minutes is going to be them. Oh, and oh, yeah. uh, Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds, the one that's where you're in like a little spaceship, but not... Yeah. Hmm. Well, I've, and, I've like... just purchased... Um... I Am Dead, which is, is not a game developed by Annapurna, but I believe published, published by them. Yeah. Um, 
and that I I can't I think that's one that I'm going to save to review uh, <laughs> because like I look at that and I think oh this game is not only beautiful but it looks to have like a really interesting premise in terms of game mechanic and and design uh, and I I can't wait to play that I have a little bit of a backlog of games I want to review but uh, if you're listening to this go look up I am dead because I think that one that one might surprise me and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to play it. Mm-hmm. Explore the afterlife, charming puzzle adventure game. Yeah, sounds like it could be if if you if the witness is your jam, a puzzle game <laughs> sounds about right. I I love interesting puzzle games. That's sort of mm. that's sort of my thing, definitely. Do you want know to say when you were talking about the witness? I've played the witness as well. Um, I never completed it, so I'm kind of like as soon as this is recording's finished, I'm going to find out from you exactly the spoilers that are in that <laughs> mountain. So I just need to know. But yeah, like that that got me into those kind of just chilling out puzzle games and there's one that you might like if you haven't already played it called the talos principle hmm. um, oh i've heard of that similar vibes you go around there's little like uh quotes from like philosophers um and doing like kind of similarish puzzles it's more i mean each area's got a different a different sort of thing going on but there's a lot of like you know you plant down like a box that shoots a laser to then like you know connect it to like the next thing along so you're just kind of connecting lines but in a different way but um i never got around to completing it but i did get quite far and that was a very very similar sort of game to to that how interesting well i hate to break up the conversation but i'm gonna move a bit on because I, i am aware of time pressure um the game i picked um is a bit more i suppose in the mainstream indie sphere i picked journey uh which i think a lot of people will be aware of um composed by austin wintry i think it's probably the main thing that i picked it for um and i i do generally as as a rule of thumb i always like to state that when a game is so popular that's indie i usually don't play it until five years later so that was the case with mine as well so it was co-developed by that game company and santa monica studio obviously it being a playstation exclusive i was absolutely just i fell in love with this game when i first came across it because it's it was Again, as I always mentioned, it was one of my first initial experiences with indie games. And I think it was one of those first initial experiences, you know, where you play an indie game, but you don't realize it's an indie game until like a year or two later. And you're like, oh, my God, that was an indie game. Um, And so when I was playing it, it, it's almost see, I I always still uh, struggle to describe the full length of the story of it because it is so left open to interpretation it's very much you're on a pilgrimage you know you're following uh, and being joined by people who look very similar to you in regards to the robes they wear and everything and it's it's almost i don't know if it's particularly religious or if it's more so it's just um i don't know just a sense of unif- uh, uniformity or if it's just because they had budgets and they needed to keep same models um but i i really like it um i think that the main reason i particularly enjoy it and this will get sappy for a second which i think is fine for games that moved us but it's like when i was playing it um it, it particularly touched me in a very important way because i have uh since i'm 21 now i've moved three to three different homes in that space of time you know i've gone from sligo to an apartment in dublin and then i've moved to a home in dublin and i'll be moving again in september so that doesn't do a good record for but but the whole the whole premise of it really was you know whenever i found i've moved you know i still kept in contact with people in the different areas i've lived so over time you know you kind of like you view your lens in life as you know who did i know at that stage or who was i friends with then and it's like you know i've got my friends from sligo i've got my friends from my apartment in dublin i've got my friends now uh, from and I should also mention, you know, to keep in line with moving, I also moved uh, secondary school twice, so it's it, it's not helping. Uh, this like um, 
this idea that either I have a growing social circle or if it's just one I can't keep an eye on at the moment. And obviously I met all these amazing people online as well, uh, sitting down with two of them right now. But when it comes to like when I was playing Journey, I was particularly struck by the idea that the person you're jo- that can join in on your journey in any stage isn't just this NPC, it's an actual player. Uh, and when I was playing it, I whenever there's like elements of it where, you know, you can drop out at any time, they can drop out at any time. For me, that struck a very important chord with me because I was like, this is really reminiscent of like, you know, I, I, I sit down for an hour or two, I play a bit of Journey, you know, I'm joined by someone who I have no idea who they are, they come in and then they leave. And then I move on to the next section. And it was very similar to like when I move home or whatever. It's like, yes, I, well, obviously I don't keep in contact with the people I play Journey with. But it was very similar in the sense that like, you know, I had my friends in Sligo. I move up. I go make new friends in Dublin. I make new friends in the next place I go to. And it's, it, it, it is like, as the name would suggest, a journey. Uh, and almost, it's almost if you were to think of it like almost metaphorically, like a journey through life. So, you know, you're, you're meeting new people as you go along. But at the end, the end goal, all of you are going to the same place which is I suppose not to sound too dark but like death <laughs> um but I, I i i don't know if that's what was it was intended to be like uh that's the thing I, one thing i think the beauty about these sort of games is is that it doesn't have to doesn't have to you know intended to be like that in any way it can just be what you want it to be and that's the that's the amazing part about it uh but journey was always something that particularly during lockdown when i was just like sitting at home i think any game would have made me cry when i was sitting at home for like six or seven months so journey was a particularly interesting one it was it was one i played a few times last year because it's quite short as well you can just you could do it like there's an achievement for doing it in a full sitting i think it only takes about two to three hours um but it's really enjoyable it's it, it i suppose for the for the technical aspect of the gameplay elements yeah it's a platformer uh with sort of um elements of you going around similar to uh Omno, as we discussed uh, last week, Connor, it, it's very much like um, absorbing energy through different elements, you know, providing life to other parts of the world. And then uh, through gaining that energy, it allows you the ability to fly or float and jump and go up to different areas. So it, it's a it's a really it's a really beautiful game. And particularly, I want to touch on the score very quickly, because I think it's probably one of the best scores Austin Wintry has ever done. Um, and, and that's saying something because he has done some really phenomenal stuff. Um, I think journey specifically it's really interesting when you hear the first theme in journey it actually took him like i think like a day to record because he like he was told to like bring in this like um almost pilot theme for the game and i think he had the theme in his head by the time he got to the car after being told that and then he recorded on the same day and then he looks at like the last theme in the game which took him like months to do and it was like right up until release until he did it so it's almost like the music in a sense similar to the gameplay is like starting off very slow easy going and then the end it's like this really difficult rough ride near the end like so i i I, um i have definitely read too much into it but you know (laughs) as is the case with with art and media you know you you kind of tend to do that sometimes um but yeah i I don't know if any of you have anything to add to journey because i i feel like maybe both of you might have played it if not like um i mean I actually haven't, and so I'm kind of intrigued. What you mean by the story? Like, is there is there a sort of story to it? There, because I've seen I've seen playthroughs, and it's very meditative. If, yeah, it it is very much first and foremost that I think it's very much a like it, it is something I would describe as like a visually beautiful kind of relaxing game. It's something I I definitely tell people to play if they're looking for just a chill time. Like it's something you could slouch back on your bed with the controller and just play. Um, but there is, I suppose, elements of story to it. You're kind of you're you're going through the world. You're um, 
finding different ruins of different temples and whatnot and kind of not learning the story so much more as you are kind of just interpreting it so like there'll be elements that you'll see and be like oh i wonder who like these higher being like why is he going to the top of this mountain or whatnot so it's um it's definitely left open to interpretation i'm sure there are some absolute lore buffs of journey out there that know everything that's going on but for me i, I don't think i it's it, it's at least not made um intrinsically clear to the player what they're meant to be doing or what's going on or whatnot um it's just very much like here's a mountain go to the top at the end <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's journey for me is very much a meditation on on life and death. I think that when I played it years ago, I probably got it on PS Plus, and I, I I'm sorry to say that I probably didn't play it when I was at an age when I was very critical. So um, I really related when Callie said earlier that it was a, it was a bit of a robot and didn't really feel things for uh, games because there was a up until about age 19 i i think that i i'd barely I, I mean i hadn't cried at a film or a book or or anything really um and then there was sort of a crossover period where i just became a sponge um <laughs> and i think that journey was just one of those games that it was at the wrong period of my life where i probably didn't notice the music as much as i i could have I thought it was a wonderful game. I loved just the, the, the gameplay of it, just the, the feeling of running across the sand and everything. Um, I thought it was a very, very good kind of one-time experience. Um, as saying that, I haven't got a PlayStation, so it's not like I could go back to it easily if I, hmm. if I wanted to. Um, but I have listened to the score since, and I do enjoy it. I think that it did give, I mean, it was hugely praised when it came out. I think it did give rise to a sort of type of indie game that is more meditative, more exploration, more... I mean, a lot of them, a lot of indie games do have kind of cryptic narratives, sort, sort of like that Dark Souls-esque thing where the lore is, is there for you to find, but it's not really put in front of you. Hmm. Um I think generally that that style of having a a journey <laughs> you can't talk about journey without saying yes yeah, a journey <laughs> uh where it is like that kind of one trip thing like kind of on though kind of that you know what you can tell them into lord of the rings at the moment i'm about to mention <laughs> it again uh that kind of lord of the rings thing where it's like you have to go to this mountain once you get to that mountain journey's over uh there are like so many games, but like it's a tried and tested thing, right? Like people love going on like an expedition or a journey and, and the things you see along the way and then kind of that bit of sweet feeling at the end. I mean, it's it's a good it's a good framework and an excellent framework, to, you know, to mm. think about and discuss life and kind of the people you run into and then, you know, the end of the journey and thinking back to what you've experienced yeah well i actually loved what you said about um and how you related it to you know having to move home a bunch and make new friends because of the idea of going through this journey and people can join you in the game hmm. and then they're gone and that's it they're hmm. past you're carrying on with your journey they're somewhere in the past that does happen like you know most of the people i've known in my life are people i don't know now so hmm. i to look at the numbers of it 
So it's just, yeah. I mean, it's a very melancholy, depressing for <laughs> yeah, all heading towards death and just meeting friends for brief periods who join us along the way. But, I mean, that's nice. It's, it's nice to kind of think about, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think... I'm about to go listen to some MCR after this. This is uh, deep. <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I think in general, though, the, the, the whole concept of, like, a hike or... Uh, a pilgrimage or whatever is always intrinsically i think believed to be peaceful even if in a non-religious setting like you know like i did the camino two three years ago i'm in no way religious but it's it's an enjoyable and like peaceful and thought-provoking experience as you kind of go through nature and you see all these amazing places in like in like portugal or spain or whatever and it's like oh my god like the the infrastructure or like the, the wildlife or anything like that's always so intrinsically beautiful to me in every way they see it and it's like I'm glad that the medium of video games has been able to adapt that into sort of these uh, these kind of more relaxing, uh, albeit, yeah, they are shorter titles as well. And I think that works well for them because the, the best uh, the best games in that sort of genre, I think the ones that don't overstay their welcome. Um, it's very difficult. Like, like, um, like if you were doing a really long walk, it would start to grate you near the end. But if you get the right, like, distance or the time that you're spent out there, you know, you can really enjoy it and take everything in. So I think, I think Journey kind of, as Connor was saying, kind of, uh, brought rise this more meditative style of games but i think it also set the precedent of what a good uh, meditative uh, like pilgrimage style game would be and uh, and omno for sure was definitely influenced by it um and, and it definitely it definitely shows and it also has a similar length and vibe and everything to it and it and it scratches that itch for people like that um so much as you know like all the numerous amounts of indie skateboarding games scratch the itch for people who love skate you know it, it's it's like there is if there's something enjoyable out there there will be an audience that will take anything and everything and love whatever comes their way. Uh, not to say that Omno isn't a good game. Omno is phenomenal. Um, so I think I, I'm going to move over to a couple of the uh, viewer submissions we got with regards to this week. Um, Mike, who has written for our website before, they're absolutely amazing. They've written a load of reviews for us. Uh, they said, Disco Elysium uh, touched me more than almost any other game. The entire structure is so unique and the themes touched me deeply. Anyone played Disco Elysium here? <laughs> I've been wanting to. I've heard a lot about it because it's got mm. like a D&D vibe, not in terms of monsters, but in terms of just dialogue choices and role play that um, like I hear about. I've not, I've yet to get my hands on it or even mm. watch a playthrough, but yeah, it's something I'm desperate to uh, to get on based on some reviews I've heard. Yeah. Can someone remind me what Disco Elysium is? I know I know the name. I know, so do I. And it always comes up in conversation when it's like, oh, indie games, Disco Elysium, so good. And then, as Callie mentioned, you know, as all the time, whenever it comes up in conversation, it's like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to play that. You know, <laughs> I think that's like <laughs> half of my games catalogue I've been meaning to play, you know? Yeah. Um, I, think I, it, I think you're, I, I don't know a huge amount. I think you're like a detective or something, but um, the, the choices I hear is stuff about like shooting, like finding someone hanging from a tree and having the option to shoot them down. Um, mm like it's dark you know like that but uh, i'm actually clicking through it now and it's not actually looking how i thought this game would look to be honest but <laughs> yeah it i know it's like it would be neon yeah kind of yeah, that's kind of what i vibed it looks a little bit more noir if anything because like... i think in my head whenever i think of disco elysium i always get drawn to hotline miami uh, and i know uh, and i yeah. feel like they're two <laughs> completely different games <laughs> but uh again at the same time very... i'm just not so sure um very similar vibe in the name yeah um, I suppose we move on. Anyways. You have the sort of stats and such. So it's like you know when I say like D and D, like the stats they've got here, like rhetoric, drama, visual, calculus, 
authority. So, you know, but with like just numbers next to it and represent how those dice roll when you do an interaction with someone. Yeah. Okay. Um, and whether yeah. what you say is going to kind of succeed or not. So it feels to, to look be it an effect, but Well, that certainly got me intrigued anyways to give it a to give to give it a look, you know, something I've been mean to look at. Um, <laughs> to put on the backlog, yeah. <laughs> um, Cameron Smith, he said Cuphead, Celeste, and Hades would be obvious choices. Omen Sight is one that I highly recommend that often gets overlooked, but is a phenomenal game. And this is one I actually took a little bit of a look at uh, when I saw the comment. I was like, oh, Omen Sight, and it it actually looks genuinely very cool. It's got that sort of uh, isometric uh, camera angle, similar to something like The Ascent, um, and you kind of uh, follow the story of. Uh, it's like a detective style uh, game where you are, I don't know the, the exact dynamics, but you're playing as these individuals that can uh, spawn into a world when some when chaos is about to erupt or the world's about to destroy. And it's your job to stop that from happening. So you have like a, a day cycle uh, in which you can restart at any time and learn new facts and pieces about an investigation to find out who murdered who before it has this cataclysmic like... Um, knock-on effect that ends the world which i think i think sounds really really interesting um and again one i'll have to look at um (laughs) but uh yeah i think out of those names again celeste is one that always comes up in the sort of games that move me category because of i think that the ties uh with regards to the the developer creating that and uh, how they've talked about mental health and all these other different elements which i think is something really really uh, fascinating And, and something that was free on games with gold for a while which i now have on my xbox and i started but never really got around to finishing uh but it's something i'll have to look at um, I played again. Celeste. Um, it's very, very hard. There is mm. a way though you can you can change your settings, which is nice, and I think all games should have like to make it pretty easy. Yeah. Because uh, of it's just a game I wouldn't have been able to complete. Um, but I did complete it, just with a cheat mode, you know, with the sort of like God mode esque mm. thing on. Uh, and yeah, it, it is nice. You have like the little conversations with people as you go up this mountain, and like it's, I'd say it would be relaxing if it wasn't for how damned hard it is. <laughs> Cupheads can do one though. That is impossible to play. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> if that changed you, I, 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 like it made me a bitter man. Like <laughs> Connor, you ever played Celeste, Cuphead, Hades? No, no, none of them. Um, Cuphead is one that I I would have bought by now if it went below sixteen pound on the Xbox Store. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's just like I really want to play this game, just not for that much. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to let me know when you get it because I'd be dying to play that with two player. Oh, really? um, okay. with with all the connection if, issues and everything it'd be fantastic <laughs> um f- final final comment here we have um is from kane he says uh while not an indie game and while it's uh while it gets a lot of flack and in brackets deservedly so it's cyberpunk 2077 its storyline about life and death really helped me pr- process and grieve the loss of a loved one that, that happened around the same time of the game's release yeah, I, I, I know kind of you have more experience with this and probably more of a negative experience with Cyberpunk, but I, I think uh, I think Kane kind of strikes through on what a lot of... Um, on what the, the amazing thing about games can do is that, like, you know, a game can be in a lot of ways intrinsically extremely flawed, but can still have a really uh, thought-provoking, moving experience to an individual, depending on where they are at the time. Uh, like, games specifically, like... I know when I did my final year college exams, like, all the games I played then... Uh, I was like, I have such a real personal connection to them now because it's like, those are the games I was playing when I was in a really like awful place because it was like, oh my God, all these exams are coming up. Like I hate it. And you, you know, when all these things are sort of looming, it can have a really uh, play a mental toll on you and everything. And the stuff that you use as an escape almost becomes this like uh, almost a medicine of some sorts where it's like, oh, I come back to this and I remember it really fondly. 
uh, stuff like uh, Bioshock, stuff like uh, Mass Effect, um, Red Dead Redemption 2 is another one, which really did take a lot of my time away from study. But, you know, you look at those sorts of things, and particularly with Cyberpunk, depending on the, 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 the area with you're in, media, and, and in this case, games, can provide such an amazing escape uh, and provide such an amazing sort of perspective on maybe stuff that you had experienced before, and now you're looking at through the lens of this completely different scenario in a completely fictitious world. I think it's just such an amazing uh, thing to be able to to, to look at, uh, whether it's in games or otherwise. Um, I don't know, does anyone want to add to that? I, I feel like maybe I hogged the spotlight there for a second. I, I think that there have been games, I, I can't recall right now specific ones, but there have been games that have helped me process uh, mm. different things that have happened in my life. Um, Cyberpunk, you know, I played it on my Series X, so my experience was a lot better than other people, but... Um, after after the first five hours, uh, I was fairly sick of the the bugs and the, the kind of poor game design. Really, hmm. um, I I will say I've probably missed something in Cyberpunk because I know listening to podcasts that everyone really praises the funeral scene. Um, I didn't get to the funeral scene, whether hmm. it was a side mission or whether I made the wrong choice or something. Didn't get to it, so um, I I possibly have missed out on on what Kane is, is referencing there, but um, no, it's a very relatable sentiment. I, I think that Hellblade, we recently looked at Hellblade, I think that's a game that, depending on where you are in life, like that story can be quite powerful. Um, so yeah, definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Callie, you played Cyberpunk? or No, I've watched it be played through. Um, I mean, it's didn't look like my kind of thing in general i don't know what the kind of emotional depth is as i say about a funeral scene i didn't see that from what i was watching but um yeah that's uh, trying to think back i was uh, when you said about like games that hit you at the right place i talk about like night in the woods and that's about flunking out of college and all of those feelings that's probably 10 years too late for me to really <laughs> get any kind of proper emotional with that i'm sure there is games that i'm just i've bottled away with the memories they've helped you know <laughs> heal mm. but nothing i can really think of yeah um i suppose we that was a, a much longer segment that i was anticipating it to be but i appreciate all the insight anyways uh, as the name would suggest indie insight um i'm going to move on to our next segment now which is what we're playing this week uh, which should be i suppose for listeners a little bit more i suppose <laughs> less philosophical uh, <laughs> is the word i would <laughs> maybe use um so Callie, we'll start with you what have you been playing this week i think you alluded to it earlier uh, maybe did I? I've played a lot this week. Oh. I, I, there's so much at the moment that I've kind of just jumped between things. So I've been mm. playing um, the two main ones though have been State of Decay and uh, Hades. Oh, okay. that I picked up and played. So I didn't want to bring it up when you mentioned Hades before, mm. just because I knew I was going to be talking about it here. Great game. Like um, I think if it was hard, like it's not too bad. Like I can get through the bosses. From what I'd heard, it was going to be you know proper punishing, mm. and I'm glad it isn't because I don't tend to do well on games that just kill me. Um, I just tend to give up. <laughs> so like the fact that I got through like Meg on the first try, or and then like the 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 next beast along on the first sort of go, and I still get killed after at some point, and then have to go back to the beginning. But it's kind of inspired me to just carry on with it. Hmm. Um, that and instead, okay, I've given another shots. Uh, flights in this week. Oh, and Halo Five recently. That's the one you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. that game um i don't know what the problems are people talking about the story i thought it was really cool Mm. like spoilers the ai's are taking over (laughs) like 
That's are that's going to be interesting. <laughs> are you are you uh, what's your are you a fan of the classic Halo? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of a fan of all of them, really. Uh, honestly, the only one I don't particularly gel with too well is ODST, and I know that's like. Oh, I don't think we can be friends anymore, Kelly. Sorry, man. It's just it's really <laughs> quite like I think it's the going around New Mombasa. Yeah, is that it? And like it's really dark and very slow paced and like that's kind of not how i get on with the halo game i you know play halo for its you know fast paced action so mm, like mm. i could be wrong i'll go but, back i have played it multiple times but it's um yeah my my problem with halo 5 is that it never takes a moment to kind of slow down and uh take a take a breath or properly get you invested in the characters like when i play games and and certainly it means a lot for me with Halo because Halo was sort of it in my childhood that one game which really proved kind of the story moments that video games can have if you think about kind of the Arbiter and, and Chief and especially Halo 3 kind of it it's not so much the choice of characters or the choice of narrative or the choice of locations none of that really it just it doesn't expand on its characters or their relationships or have any moments of of true um stakes where you feel like at least for me now i i really feel those emotional wavelengths a lot more and halo 5 just feels a bit nothingy it feels Mm -hmm. like it feels like a good campaign but i feel like the weight they made us make that they made us have for for the next like true chief story or like it, it felt like a game that could have come between two other games not not something that is left for six years you know i see what you mean like um they do at one point allude to the blue team being like his family and like you know the original kind of like spartans um and also quite likes the thought that if he's the blue team that means it's probably the red team of original spartans for the whole blue versus red but like yeah it doesn't really go into it any more than that but with like Halo, my favorite Halo's Reach, couldn't name a single character. I have no idea who I was playing <laughs> as at any point during that. I was just playing as unknown Spartans. Sorry. <laughs> Are you serious? I am serious. It has that, been a while that, since I played like it. The, to be that's fair. like the most character-oriented Halo. I'd I know, but say. I don't know their names. Like there was oh, various. Sorry, they're other dead Spartans. now. You don't need to worry about it. Blasphemous. <laughs> Blas- um, <laughs> I'm guys? sorry. Yeah, exactly. There's the green one, the blue one, Power Rangers, right? <laughs> oh, Kelly, you're trying to start a fight here. I, I don't know what can happen. We'll move on quickly just as to avoid any more internal conflict in this podcast turning into a, an all-out brawl. Um, Connor, what have you been playing this week? <clears throat> uh, sorry, I'm taking a while to recover. Um, <laughs> I've been playing the, the Back for Blood beta very much enjoying it mm-hmm. um i i think that my my current thoughts are that it is uh um i've got so many thoughts on this my it my prevailing my, preva- my prevailing thought is that it's not left for dead mm. and that, that makes me sad uh, i think that what it's missing is kind of the the unique thing where left for dead was clearly like kind of a a campy horror film where like at the end there's the credits you have the kind of theater choral music every time you get grabbed you you have the spotlight that falls on you you have the kind of music uh uh 
clues throughout. And kind of all of those things really made Left 4 Dead a really powerful kind of unique thing. Hmm. And Back 4 Blood kind of replicates Left 4 Dead's success in the gameplay, but it doesn't quite have just that special something that makes it stand on its own. I don't feel that when you shoot the the ridden that they... It, I don't think that the, the gunplay feels quite as as solid as, as Left 4 Dead's did. Hmm. So at the moment, I'm I'm quite tentative in my feelings about it. I enjoy it, but whether it has the lasting appeal of Left 4 Dead, I, I personally, I wouldn't say so. Um, hmm. Have you guys been playing Back 4 Blood? I've downloaded it and I'm up for playing, so name a time, <laughs> so, let's get on it. The same as me, is that the, unfortunately the case with me working a lot is that I have the the beta download and then it's just like every time you know one of the open betas you know comes up it's like oh Aldrin do you want to come in for like five days a week and work and it's just like all right fine (laughs) like so I have it downloaded from what I'm seeing of it though like it generally like that World War Z game that's now on Game Pass it looks like a first person version of that (laughs) that's that's kind of what I'm getting the vibe off at the moment I feel like I, I, I knew what it was like to be a Halo Puritan when I first saw it released and I was like oh my god they're aiming down sights how could they and it's like it's one of those scenarios because I, I remember Left for Dead for like it's just being like this like I still love Left for Dead too I still go back and play it like constantly because I think it's just so amazing um, and they're like they even added stuff uh, on PC anyways up until recently like the end of last year so it's like okay well they're still going with it um, Callie knows all about my love for Left 4 Dead 2 uh, based on my appearance on the gaming manifesto um, which was robbed as good as Call uh, of Duty uh, yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's it stood the test of time over Call of Duty, I'd say now. Um, I I actually prefer Left 4 Dead One, if I'm being honest. Side note: well, I actually went and bought Call of Duty Black Ops One the other day because everyone keeps harking on about it. Mm. So, and the fact that you guys told me off for never having played it on my own pod. Well, now we I th- <laughs> now I think we would say don't play Call of Duty. I think in fairness, uh, given the whole stuff at Activision Blizzard. Ah, but good point. I, I bought well, it off. Uh, it was second hand, so it's, they didn't get any money from me. Don't worry. Black <laughs> Ops. That's, Black yeah. Ops was great at the time it came out. I, I don't know why you'd want to play it now. <laughs> like it's one of those cases where th- things can feel so novel and exciting when they come out. Mm. Um, and if you don't get on it then they very quickly age i think and they become less exciting um i'll let you know my feelings once i've uh, played through it but yeah i just keep hearing so many people telling me about the story being good and all this mm. i never really consider call of duty a game i want to play because it's just that thing that they churn out every year but um, yeah yeah oh no i'm, I'm interested to hear what you things. think anyways um okay so what have i been playing i i i'm very fortunate um Actually, I've told this story a few times, but I feel like it's 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 a story of fate, really, to be honest, because I recently finished up an internship uh, for a newspaper and I got paid uh, the money that I was owed for the six weeks I was there. And um, I thought to myself, I'm going to treat myself. And it's and as if by like a like a sign from God, uh, I got a notification on my phone being like PS5s are back in stock. And I was like, well, there we have it. That's my it's me treating myself. So I bought a PS5 um, and I also purchased Returnal uh, and I've been playing that a good bit and oh my god it's so good it, it, it's it's scratching the rogue like itch that Hades had left for a while so I'm happy that I get to play it now um, 
it's it, i think I, I had this conversation with connor uh last time on the unofficial game pass podcast talking about um when it comes to getting a game on playstation 5 the fact that it you have to pay the full like 60 for it and it's not like you get it on like game pass or whatever it's really encouraging me to actually finish it and get my money out of it um but besides that i'm still really enjoying it and finding it to be a, a thoroughly pleasant and enjoyable experience uh, so that's been occupying a bit of my time. Outside of that, I've been playing a few indie games. Uh, Death Trash, which is on the Steam store now. Uh, we got a code for that for Gaming Sandbox, so there'll be a review on that hopefully, or a preview on that hopefully soon. Uh, and 2D and Top D, which is another game uh, that I've been very interested in for a while. It's made by two Israeli developers. Um, and, you know, it, it's their first commercial game. It's gotten raving reviews and success, so I'm happy to see that for any indie developer. Um, so that that's what I've been looking at. Um and I'm yeah. As I said, How the back row blood. Wait, sorry. How is Death Trash? Death Trash is really fun. Um, I was first drawn to it by obviously it's sort of pixelated, um, sort of grimy looking uh, aesthetic. A lot of people, um, who play it will tell you it's a really, really like. I think one uh, Mike who uh, writes for GPN and has done a few bits for us. He said it's a, a like a real surrealist game. Um. So I was I was very much um, drawn to that idea of it as well. So I, I went in with that and, and and they described it perfectly. So I, I'm absolutely delighted that uh, that it's um, it's turning out to be what it is. Now, granted, I haven't played a lot of it yet. So as soon as you get a bit into it uh, to kind of see the full picture. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 a good game. And I, I'd recommend um, if you check out what I'd say is if you check out any of the gameplay or trailers uh, and you think it's for you it, it will probably most likely be for you it's one of those sorts of games um so yeah uh, th- that's my that's my like base thoughts on it without going too much into detail on it because I, I don't really want to spoil too much either to be honest i don't think is because i have looked into i've got a code as well but i don't mm. really have anyone that plays pc on my roster mm. so like i've got no one to review it <laughs> for me <laughs> um and i don't it's, it doesn't really i don't think it really appeals to me i like some of the aesthetics like the uh into like a cosmic horror style yeah thing they seem to have going on but the actual gameplay is not my kind of thing so yeah, mm. if anyone if anyone listening wants to review something <laughs> for me i've got a code for you <laughs> beautiful yeah um I think, yeah, that's all I've been playing. I think now that we're at the end of the show, uh, we've, we're nearing the wrap-up, an hour and 20 minutes in, fair play to you all. <laughs> um, I want to throw it over to you, Callie. Uh, you've been a you know a great guest, you know, uh, someone who's come on to our podcast and talked about everything and anything um, and humoured us for the last hour and 20 minutes. Uh, now it's up to you, you know, throw out what you want to what you want to promote, I assume, Robot Republic, but anything else that you feel comes to your mind right now? Yes, mostly that. So uh, robot-republic.com unfortunately the one without a dash was taken and also at twitter which is robot republic with an underscore which um which i figured our friends at game and sandbox were doing, <laughs> so that, that, that seems apt um but yeah we have news articles on gaming we have opinion pieces features reviews uh, we're also kind of moving away now we're no longer named anything to do with you know uh, gaming so we are starting to branch out into more other media like mm-hmm. as long as it's nerdy related so films tvs any, anything like that um we also have streamers and bits and pieces on youtube uh i've just started doing something with i think he's one of yours uh chris yeah um playing some playing some state of decay and that's going to be on our youtube 
Um, but yeah, just check everything out. I mean, you can always find us. As I say we're always harassing these guys on Twitter <laughs> over at Game and Sandbox, and they're always being lovely to us back. So it, it feels a very <laughs> one-sided fight, but like <laughs> kill them with kindness, Kelly. <laughs> I know it's it's really depressing. It's like I keep sending hate your way, and then I just get nothing back but love. How infuriating! <laughs> Oh no. Well, anyways, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Callie. Um, and from all of us here at Indie Insight, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Uh, when I, I'm not going to commit to who we'll, who we'll have on next week because that changes based on schedules. So uh, it'll be a surprise. So look forward to that. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this episode, you can go and give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. They'll be all linked down below. You can also check us out on all the relevant social. Uh, all the relevant streaming platforms uh, be it spotify google podcasts and all that other jazz uh, and with that being said uh, we look forward to seeing you next week and goodbye